He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Ben Valenta is our very special guest, and uh, he is uh, he's the author of a, a great idea for a book. I've ordered two of them, and I, I've always felt uh, strongly about his premise, but he proves it through analytics. He and his partner on this book, uh, and by the way, uh, the, the name of the book is Fans Have More Friends, and basically they... they Take an analytical approach, and this guy knows more about analytics than anybody you could imagine. Senior Vice President of Strategy and Analytics for uh, Fox Sports. Uh, his his client list or his uh, list of people he's worked with is a mile long. Nobody better to write this book, and what a great idea. Ben Valenta, how are you? I'm great, Frank. How are you? Uh, doing great here. And I, listen, I've always believed this, but I'm, I'm thrilled that you backed it up with data. And, uh, you know, if you, if you think about it logically, I mean, if you have something to bond over, um, you know, you could put a musician, a guy with really long hair together with, you know, some former wrestler who who's never listens to music. You put him in front of a TV set. If they're cheering for the same person or the same, uh, same team, uh, it would make sense that they could bond. Well, that's exactly it. Sports gives us this easy on-ramp to conversations, an easy way to connect with people. And those people can be perfect strangers on the street. They can also be uh, the deepest, most intimate relationships we have in our lives. You know, the Denver Broncos are the foundation of my relationship with my father and my three brothers. It's also the thing that if I'm walking around the streets of Denver and I see someone wearing a a, a Broncos shirt and I say, go Broncos, we're going to have a brief interaction. It's that ability to create connection. That we all, all, all of us as fans recognize, but we've proved out actually makes you happier. Yeah, I, I listen. It's just a great idea for a book, and I know there's so many, uh, so many people there that are up to their their eyes and analytics, but those are old school guys, and I think they're dying out. I think people are are starting to understand that that sports franchises are run by you know fairly bright people, intelligent people, big money there. And, and folks like yourself uh, doing it uh, for, for Fox uh, and, and others. I mean, you guys know you wouldn't be doing this. You wouldn't be twiddling your thumbs, wasting your time with this if it doesn't work. Well, that's true. And, and here's the thing. You know, the analytics just prove out the point. So anyone who would be a naysayer, a doubter, uh, we can say, no, we have the, the data to back up this idea. But I want to come back to what, how you started this, which is we all as fans intuitively recognize this idea. Right. This creates connection. The only thing that's going to get me to high five a perfect stranger is sports. Right. And so all we've done is prove that out. But really, the most compelling bit about my journey in this and also the the book itself are the human stories that bring these ideas to life. Right. It's the people. It's the shared connections. It's the bond between father and son. It's it's the you know, the strangers bonding for five minutes and, and creating um, uh, you know, a moment of real positivity. Those are the stories that we as fans recognize, we collect, and those are the stories that really, really uh, humanize this this idea. From a, uh, a personal standpoint, when 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 was the genesis of this book uh, in your mind? How long has it been working in your mind? It's it's probably been about six or seven years at this point. You know, I, I used to do a lot of work for uh, the New York Knicks, right? I was a consultant for Madison Square Garden. And we, we set out to try to understand why people were buying season tickets, right? Like, what's, what's going on here? And we, we landed on this idea that New York Knicks fandom is not really about the product on the court, right? How can it be? It's, it's actually about connection and belonging and community. And so we landed on this idea to be a fan is to be a part of a community. 
and that idea really stuck with us. And, and, and I just kept seeing it um, in other, in other instances, we go spend time with college football fans. Same idea came up. We'd spend time with uh, major league baseball fans. Same idea came up. And eventually we said, well, if this is true, if, if fandom is really about community and socializing, then fans are going to have more robust social networks. They're going to have more friends. And so we set about a way, devising a way to to prove that out, to sort of see and test if that was truly uh, happening, and it is. You know, if, for those listening who who uh, is not picking up the reference of of why would why would somebody be a Knicks fan? Knicks haven't won in a very very long time. Seventy three, uh, last time they won a championship, and uh, and Ben uh, kind of in there, you know, looking at the at the data, saying, yeah, why would these people keep coming back? By the way, no problem selling tickets, no problem with the value of the franchise, even for a, a really a losing franchise for so long. Uh, just a, a great point there. Uh, I. Getting, you know, getting into the book here, any surprises for you? I, I imagine that you were expecting the outcome to be fans, uh, you know, fans have more friends, you know, that that would be the the outcome of it. But any any surprising outcomes for you? Yeah, there were there were two. I mean, the first is when we so we established that idea. Fans have more friends. When we started to understand the impact that friendship and connection has on people, that's when the light bulb went on, because then we realized, oh, it's not just that fans have more friends. Fans are, as a result of those friends, fans are happier. They're more confident. They're more optimistic. They're more um, satisfied with their life. They're more grateful, right? They're more likely to give to charity. They are more likely to be registered to vote. Um, all of this, this whole cascade of, of wellness markers fell out of this idea. And not only that, this is the second point where it got really interesting is when we talked about trust. And it turns out that the bigger fan you are, the more trusting you are of other people, the more trusting you are of institutions. And what, what we make the case for in the book is that this is the real magic of fandom. This is the power of fandom. If we're aware of it, we can lean into it. We can mitigate loneliness, right? We can, we can dampen and decrease the polarization because we can increase trust and, and happiness and belonging. You know, it's actually mind-blowing what you're saying. If, if if people just stop, clear the mind for a second, and and just listen to what you just said, uh, it, uh, fans care more. They they care. They cry. They uh, they fight. They break down. They uh, they yell. They get depressed. Uh, if if their team uh, loses or if they win, they're ecstatic and whatever. They we're taught to care in many ways by our sports franchises. You know, you, uh, you know, growing up watching Elway or Craig Morton or whoever uh, uh, play quarterback and, um, you know, you're living and dying with those three Super Bowl losses and then, and then probably flying with the, uh, the with the back-to-back wins uh, by Elway. I, I mean, it teaches us to care. That's right. And, and the important thing here is we care. We go on an emotional ride together celebrate or commiserate and i've done as a bronco fan i've done plenty of both but we go on that ride together and and it's the emotional weight that the the sports have with us but it's the fact that that emotional weight is in this context it's experienced in this context of other people and it's the thing that creates that bond and now my relationships with my hometown friends my my family are deepened because the thing we talk about to this day and every sunday the Denver Broncos and my phone lights up when the Broncos play and when uh, my fantasy team goes against my uh, you know old college roommate right when we see our fandom as that as this uh, extension of our relationships then we can recognize the power that that it is 
Ben Valente, I want to congratulate you on an amazing career, but a, a great concept for a book. I, I'm ordering two, and I, I, got, I got a friend who uh, we have this conversation all the time. Just a brilliant idea for, uh, for a book. Can you give us any social media site uh, or website that, where we could follow along? And if there's anything you want to add before you leave, please do so. Absolutely. You can, you can buy the book anywhere you buy your books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Ben Valenta. And you can also check out our website, fanshavemorefriends.com. Ben, thanks a million for being here. All right, thank you. Ben Valenta, everyone, uh, just a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful book that he's put out. The concept is wonderful. And I, I've got to say, I've got to say this. I'm a big sports fan. My, my father was a, a baseball fanatic. He passed uh, back in 2005. And we completed... We completed two of his books that uh, he, he has three all totaled. He had one before he passed, and then he had a bunch. And when I say we, I, my brother and I, um, I have an older brother, Gordon, and, uh, and the two of us gathered notes that he had around with statistics and little things, little things on napkins and, and um, uh, the back of, of uh, mats from a diner. He had all this, and we kind of compiled all of that and turned it into two different books. So uh, posthumously, now he's got he's got three books out. One one while he was alive, and uh, and one that my brother and I uh, co-wrote with him, uh, without him uh, knowing it, right? Without uh, it, without him being aware, because we just gathered those notes. And it, the the interesting thing is that my four kids are really not sports fans. They all played sports. I coached all the little league, all the. Uh, all the basketball, all the soccer, and they were good. You know, uh, you know, they <laughs> three of them. Uh, you know, they, they were good. I'll, I'll just say they, they were fine. Uh, I was fine when they didn't uh, when they didn't follow up or they they didn't want to go. You know, full fledged into high school and college. You know, it, it, it's just it, you know they were into other things and and uh, wherever they went uh, is fine uh, fine with me. But I also also have been thinking to myself. You know, it's. Uh, it's not a bad idea that we didn't shove sports down their throat because they have time to get into other things, and and they do. They get into, you know, uh, you know whatever, uh, you know, animation, and they get into, you know, blogging, and they get into all kinds of things, and they're all doing very well. But they they don't have this sports uh, live and die uh, with your sports team uh, thing, and and you know I don't know maybe you, you second guess that. When uh, when you hear Ben Valenta and and the book fans have more friends, um, they have friends, so they're you know they're fine on on that front, and they got good friendships and a lot of friends and and so forth. But uh, they they don't have that live and die in the moment with uh, with a particular sports team, and uh, you know I don't know it, maybe it takes us uh, a second to uh, to look back and say mm, maybe this isn't a bad idea. Um, I, by the way, when uh, when the Yankees lose or whatever, I don't listen to uh, to sports radio until they win again. Um, now I haven't listened to sports radio in a long time, unless they're talking about the Giants, the New York Giants. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not tuning into baseball sports talk. That's for sure. I mean, uh, you know, after the end of the season and everything else. So, uh, you know, that's it. Just shows you how emotional we get about it. Frank McKay signing off. Ben Valenta is the author of Fans Have More Friends. Uh, Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. 
This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with a very talented man. As uh, the season five premiere of Yellowstone comes up, uh, uh, Denim Richards is our very special guest today. But before we get into Yellowstone, I'll tell you, I'm big, as as many of you know, I'm big into uh, uh, short films. And I saw one a couple of years ago, and it, it must have come out right around the same time as COVID. It's called The Zoo, and it is excellent. And I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's just, it's dynamite. It's about, uh, you know, a black man and uh, concentration camp. I, I just, I'm not going to spoil it. It's very short. It's a must watch for everyone. It's brilliant. And, and this man directed it. And I hope he does more. And he wrote it. I think co-wrote it as well. But it is a must-watch. The Zoo, it's called. And it's short. It's a, a must-watch for everyone. Denim Richards, how are you? Man, thanks for the introduction. Thank you so much uh, for the compliment. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm great. Happy to be here and have this conversation with you. Well, hey, listen, I'm thrilled to have you. Before we get into Yellowstone, a quick thing on the zoo. Uh, How long was that in the making? And uh, it's such a a great concept. And out of everything we've seen about uh, Nazis and uh, in World War II, I have never seen anything like this. Yeah, it took, uh, I think I started the journey or the quest, if you will, of the research and studying the, the concept for this back in 2012 wow so it had been a, it'd been a while um and uh just you know when we were pitching it um you know we have a a, a, um, a feature film and a um a tv series for it and it was really hard because nobody could understand what that world would even look like and so we're like well maybe we need to go out and create a short so that they can get an idea and a sense of what it is and uh so we went ahead and did that we took a we took a gamble um, but, you know, I'm big on betting on myself if you want anybody else to bet on you. Uh, and so we did, and it got received really well. And, um, you know, we're hoping that it's going to be developed into uh, a limited series um, in the next uh, year or so. So, uh, yeah, so, but it, it, took a, it took a good eight years before we even did anything with it. You, you know, it's perfect for a limited series. I said that uh, immediately because it's too big a story and it's too big a concept right. to, to get across in a short. I, and, but it's it's absolutely right. dynamite. Congratulations. I think you hit it out of the park. And I, I'd love to set up one day a, a whole interview just about the zoo and I could talk to you for hours on it. But uh, in oh, the I, meanwhile. I, I, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Just congrats on it and everybody involved. It's just great. Uh, Yellowstone. That's something that I, I'll tell you is just uh, – taken off it's one of those it's one of those shows that i think people are going to be watching um binge watching 20 years from now and uh, and you're a big part of it and uh, you've been in a, a bunch of the episodes uh how uh I, how do you describe what's coming up without spoiling yeah you know um just to add to that you know by uh having the opportunity to be a part of, of yellowstone since the pilot episode five years ago all the way up until now getting ready for this uh, season five uh, premiere on uh, Sunday is just a, it's an amazing gift um, this season is going to come with so many twists and turns this is a season of change um, you know John has been elected governor and so now that you know in order for him to save the ranch he has to leave the ranch and that's something that I think is going to be um, it's going to be unique but it also leaves a lot of holes for the others that you know want to destroy him right so he has a giant target on his back 
the things that we could kind of do, uh, you know, in the dark, we can't now because there's a spotlight everywhere. Um, and I think that you see that um, sometimes for, you know, for those of us that are on the ranch, um, we, we're, we're still adjusting to that fact that, you know, we have to be extra careful about who, you know, who we're doing deals with, who we're working with, um, and the things that we're being told. And uh, I would say that Colby slips up a couple times this season and makes a, makes a mistake or two. Uh, that he probably didn't, but his heart was in the right place. Uh, you know, so, you know, ask for forgiveness in advance. Yeah. You, you know, one of the things about Yellowstone, and I always say this to the uh, cast members, I've had a lot of your fellow cast members uh, on, uh, you know, some multiple times. I, I'm I'm blown away by the the casting people, and, and I don't know exactly. I can't even remember who they are, but I mean, what a what a job they did as far as chemistry. Every time they seem to add someone new, it it, it just works out perfectly. But you have a lot of talent there, and I, I don't know if you guys are just so close to it to to realize that. But uh, very few shows that that are out there have this kind of talent and diverse talent. Yeah, no, um, you know, and Taylor Sheridan, you know, he created a universe. He had, um, he had exactly the the look and the the feel of the people that he wanted uh, to fulfill these characters because he's lived with them for so long. Um, and then John Papadopoulos' office, who's a, a casting director in LA, um, really, you know, tried to make sure that he accommodated Taylor's vision. Um, and I think that that those those two working together was great. But yeah, we have. An amazing, uh, amazing talent pool. Uh, this, I think, you know, I think for us, I, I think that we have the best cast on television, um, just in, in talent alone, and what we're able to do, uh, and the elements that we're doing them on on horseback with cattle and all these other things. Uh, you know, we have it's the most immersive TV show um, that's right now. You know, with no computer generation or anything like that. Um, so this this show is so unique. I'm so happy that the fans have received it in the way that they have, and it's just continuing to grow. So I'm hoping that this is just the beginning of this snowball, um, because if it is, man, we are we are in for a real treat. Yeah, it's just uh, amazing. You you spoke a little bit about Kobe uh, Mayfield, uh, and and I'll tell you, you uh, you've created this character along with the writers. Uh, is, are you surprised with any of the twists and turns of where where the character is going, and uh, and what do you expect? I mean, do you expect um, a, a, any any major change? And again, without spoiling, of course, uh, in in personalities yeah, because absolutely. you really have a good character there. Yeah, no, thank you. And you know, Taylor Taylor is great at you know planting seeds and, you know, continuing to water them. And then at some point, you'll come back and, and take that harvest. And, um, you know, I think this season is a season where, you know, Colby, again, it's a, it's a season of change. So I think that what this season is going to be is we're going to watch how some of these characters have to navigate um, massive changes. And I think that that's going to be hard for the audience, but I think they're going to love it because it's just going to make the show it, it, as if it could have been any, you know, any more interesting, I think even more interesting. Um, you know, and so I think for, for, you know, for Colby, um, he goes through that as well. There's some, some big changes that come on late, later on in the season. Um, but I think that Colby also, you're going to see a different side of his character as well um, that I was excited to get to start to explore. Um, and as the seasons go on, I think it'll be even better uh, to kind of deep, even, uh, dig even deeper into that. 
Uh, listen, Denim, congrats on everything that you've been doing. You're putting together an amazing career. The Zoo is is a hit as a limited series. I mean, I just, uh, I, 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 you know it, I know it, and anybody who's seen it knows it is, and it's an important story to tell as well. Uh, can you give us any uh, a website or a social media site and anything else you want to add before you let us, uh, before we let you go? Yeah, no, thank you again for that. Yeah, you can follow me at just Denim Richards, which is literally just, you know, my name on every social media handle. Um, you know, I try to post a lot of positivity, a lot of things. Um, you know, if you go to my uh, Instagram as well, my bio, you can get a link to my book, Mastering Your Mind. Um, so you just click the link and all the information's there. Um, so I'm really excited about that. It's a, a motivational book to just help you train your mind so that you can be the creator of your own destiny. Um, and yeah, so that's usually where you'll be able to find all the pertinent updates and everything is just at Denim Richards. Denim Richards, thanks a million for being here. And uh, we'll talk about the book the next time we speak. Right, great. No, thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to having a conversation with you again. Thanks for being here. Denim Richards, everyone, you know his name, uh, his name and his uh, his work from Yellowstone. He's a young guy. I think he's in his uh, early 30s. Maybe he's, let me, I'm looking here. Maybe he's 34 years old sky's the limit for him and and a big reason why is is yellowstone has a huge following and uh and you can see it on sundays the the fifth season is starting here and kevin cosner and and all the other um folks that are involved uh in that uh, we've had many of the cast members on and uh, they they realize they're in the middle of of something uh something big and their audience is growing and growing and growing and when you put this this kind of chemistry together the uh the, the casting people have to take a take a bow uh you know i think it's you know like uh, uh, sheila jaffe and and the others on on the sopranos did an amazing job of of the chemistry of uh making sure when they added somebody that it wasn't a uh a, you know an ad just for an ad or that it didn't screw up the chemistry when they added um joe pantaleone or uh or uh, you know any any of the people that are just along the way, Steve Sharipper, uh, it it blended in perfectly on The Sopranos, and I think the same thing with the folks here at Yellowstone, and that's how you you build a monster and a long lasting uh, monster, and that's uh, that's what Yellowstone's becoming, a big big show at this point, a big time uh, talent there behind uh, the the scenes, and uh, and Taylor of course. Uh, you know, is, uh, is 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 running that show incredibly. Um, Kobe Mayfield is a character on the show that's a real fan fan favorite. And Denim Richards is the man who um, who plays him, and uh, yeah, he's terrific, terrific actor. But he did a great job directing the zoo. It's a very interesting concept. Um, you know, I check I, I check out a lot of short films. As uh, as many of you know, many of you know, if you if you've been listening, and uh, this was uh, Hitler's plan to colonize Africa, and I really haven't seen the um, seen too much on it, and what um, uh, you know when you see something like that and it's done well, you think wow this is and you kind of look up uh, some some information and you say yeah he was <laughs> he had a plan to do it it'd be very interesting and I think he'd have a great audience for it. Um, Denim Richards has been our very special guest. Yellowstone's been our subject for the most part, but the zoo. Check out the zoo if you can. Frank McKay signing off. We'll, all, we'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. 
It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, uh, talking Fright Club host Jack Osborne and Ghost Brothers, uh, Marcus Harvey. These guys are terrific on their own and wonderful together, that's for sure, and, and fresh off of uh, Bigfoot, uh, the Bigfoot special, uh, big-time big, big time response on that, Jack Osborne. And uh, we're talking today, we're talking today, uh, uh, Paranormal Round 2 of Fright Club, all new season premieres right now, and it's, uh, it's upon us, Travel Chan- Channel and Discovery. Jack and Marcus, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Well, Jack, let me start with you. Uh, What's going on? Great job on on, on everything. Uh, Bigfoot, kind of get get into a different mode here. Uh, Is it hard going back and forth, or is it kind of all in the uh, in the flow of things? I would I would say it's on the all in kind of the flow because there's usually for me anyway. There's a lot of downtime between like doing an investigate investigative show and then a studio show, and you know, so it's kind of. It's kind of it's nice to be like, oh, great! I get to film something and go back to my house at night. Yeah. Hey, Marcus. Uh, uh, nice, <laughs> uh, nice work on uh, on your own and as part of the Ghost Brothers and uh, everything else. But uh, nice to uh, see the chemistry with you and Jack. It goes uh, it, it goes together very nice. It, it's uh, it, it's it's an easy fit, I would imagine. Yeah, it's like um, we're like the. We're like me and Jack are like the Shaq and Kobe of the show, <laughs> but we like each other. <laughs> oh, absolutely, you know, he's a big man. He sets it up. He does his thing. He sets it up for me. Passes me the ball, and then I go. Well, uh, you know what I'm saying. That's that's my guy, man. So the chemistry is just beautiful, man. It's, it's it's great to see, especially nowadays. You know, with the with the the world being at odds as much as it is, it's just good to like come to a place. And like just kick it with your friends and like talk junk about like <laughs> clips on the internet. It's like a live group chat. It's just amazing, you know what I'm saying? And it's good to see us just come together, you know, be friends, be you know, just be good people towards one another and just have fun and just, you know, crack jokes. It's just a good show, man. It's a great show. Marcus, let me stay with you for another uh, another second here. Uh give us a little taste. Uh, and your take on what we're going to see? Don't spoil, of course, but at the same time, uh, uh, you know, g- give us a little, give us a little teaser if you can. Oh yes, I, I tease very well. Come on, <laughs> I tease very well. Uh, <laughs> but no, this, this season is uh, a season of magic, a season of great celebrity guests, Howie Mandel to, to Tommy Davidson to. Beyonce said that I'm talking about it's off the chain. This is probably one of the best seasons we've ever done because we've only done two of them and we did this one better than we did last year. So this is the best season yet. Uh, it's just a great show. Jack is still British. He's still killing it. He's still got the best here in, in the game. You know, I'm I'm doing my thing. I'm winning every episode. So we just having a great time, right? Hey, Hey Jack, let me jump back to you. Uh, same thing. Uh, g- give us uh, give us your take on uh, on the season. Uh, you know, I imagine you're very happy about it. And uh, you know, look, it's just uh, it's it's uh, round two or whatever. But it's uh, give us a little bit of your take on what we expect to see without spoiling, of course. All right. 
right. So in season two, we have literally hunt over 100 clips that we share between us. Um, there's some really insane stuff. There's some funny stuff. There's some genuinely freaky stuff. Um, but you get to essentially hang out with me and the Ghost Brothers while we, you know, talk smack to each other and, uh, you know, try and try and win the, the coveted Boo Award. So it's, uh, you know, it, there's some highs, there's some lows, and, you know, everything in between. It's great. Is there anything that stands out oh, to you? With, with all of this work that you've been doing, Jack, and the paranormal work, is there anything that really stands out as a, as a key highlight and, uh, and it, something that, I don't know, something that, and I don't mean it in a normal way, but haunts you, something that you, you just can't get out of your mind? Is it one thing or is there a couple of things like that? Uh, and if so, just give it to us. Um, you know, the funny thing, the, the thing that actually stuck out to me the most was I was during season two of Portals to Hell, we were filming, we had to do like 18 episodes. And I was like constantly on the road. And then when I came home, I mean, my house was brand, my, the house I lived in was, was relatively, it was built in 2014, so it was like a new build. Um, I was having weird stuff happen at home, and there was a couple times I woke up, and there was like a cloaked figure like stood in my bedroom. And that, like, always stuck out to that's always stuck out to me because i'm like should i really be doing something like this <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey marcus let me let me ask you the same thing uh anything really stick out in your mind in particular uh is it a few things or is there one thing in particular i don't have anything as good as jack because my wife i'm married to a sister and she's like you can't have no side ghosts <laughs> when she hears boo she's like who's boo you my only boo so like that's I can't bring anything back from uh, any of our investigations. So that's one of the things that I kind of I'm blessed to not have. But I mean we've had a lot of crazy things. We just got done filming um, the new season of Ghost Brothers Lights Out, and we've seen some of the craziest things from the Ohio State Reformatory. That was that was crazy. We've seen like full body apparitions. We've just seen a lot of things. And um, it's, yeah, this has been a, a power packed year thus far. Marcus, before we let you go, give us your website, your social media site so we can follow along and then Jack I'm gonna ask you the same thing. Okay, they call they call they call me Dark Chocolate um six five two. I don't know, that's not really my my <laughs> my, my, my <laughs> No, you guys can find me uh, on Instagram as C Marcus Harvey, that's C H E Marcus Harvey. Guys can go look at my art gallery, the Musa Layer. Um but check us out, me and Jack tomorrow, and Dalen and Jawan, for uh, another riveting season of Fright Club. Oh. And the, the Jack. Marcus, congrats um, on uh, on all the work you've been doing. And uh, and it just uh, great great work on all that. And thank you for being here, Jack. The same thing. Uh, your social media sites, websites, and anything else you want to add. Um, I'm uh, at Jack Osborne everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, I don't do TikTok because that's for children. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, yeah, no, it was, this, this show's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's, yeah, I think people are going to really enjoy how we've kind of elevated season two. So, uh, yeah, make sure you tune in. Uh, Jack, congrats on, on the Bigfoot 
episode and uh, the special is just uh, absolutely terrific, riveting, and uh, you and Jason were terrific. Uh, and uh, and thank you very much for being here, guys. Congrats on everything. Thank you. Jack Osborne and Marcus Harvey, everyone. Marcus Harvey have been our very special guest. And for those of you into the paranormal, uh, check out what these guys do. Uh, investigators, paranormal investigators, and it's it's got to be a fun job, right? I, I think it, it'd be a fun job. And I, I you know, I'm dying to see something where uh, where it blows me away. And um, you know, I'm the type that uh, that you know, it's not that I'm a non-believer per se, but I'm uh, I'm the type that uh, that if I hear about something in person that is supposed to be uh, paranormal, I you know I. Uh, you know, I head down to wherever that is, and I try to check it out. At one time, you used to be able to go to uh, Gettysburg. I don't know if it's still like that, but Gettysburg at uh, at night, and you can kind of sneak uh, by. I, I don't know if it's a little round top, big round top, and you get a good view of it kind of at night. And I always thought, like when I was driving uh, driving through there and I was alone, I, it kind of, you know, it's a spooky-type feeling there. And, and I always thought to myself, you know, so many men died on that battlefield, and you know, if there's any place to see something that would be going on, it would be Gettysburg. And I don't know how many years ago it was. I was, you know, much younger. I'm 55 now, and I went to. Um, I was I was driving. I don't know. What, I was I was driving uh, cross country, and then I stopped um, by Gettysburg, and I got on like the battlefield in a car and whatever, and it was just me. And I was I was just hoping to see something, you know, uh, and, and it was it was creepy. I mean, I got to say it's uh, really creepy, but I figured, you know, you, you're never uh, going to find a better place where there would be something, uh, you know, and I didn't see anything, you know, I, and I'll be the first to admit I was hoping for it. You know, I've uh, you know, when I was a kid, I slept in a graveyard or tried to sleep in a graveyard and we, we started freaking out. I think I was 14 years old upstate uh, New York. And uh, myself and a, and a friend were in this graveyard, and all of a sudden we started seeing movement, you know, just as it's getting dark, and all this different movement, and we're like, what the hell? And, uh, and, and we're freaking out, and there were raccoons. But, I mean, raccoons everywhere you look. So, you know, I, I mean, I think I'd rather be in a graveyard with ghosts than, than raccoons, right? Dangerous. So we just grabbed everything, ran back to his house, and I think he said that he was sleeping at my house and and I said I was sleeping at his house it was this kind of thing and and when we got back to uh his house was closer when we got back uh to uh to where he lived his brother was pissed that we were doing it he had a brother that was you know like 19 years old and then uh, you know when we figured out what the raccoons were doing there he he said they they had to eat the apples and we said um, what apples? Uh, you know, the, the the orchard's like far away, and and the guy said, um, the guy's brother said, well, the stoners they they get high over in the in the apple orchard, and they were, they were these like ugly green apples, and and they chuck the the apples, they throw the apples at the uh, you know at the tombstones, you know, they try to you know they get high and they <laughs> just start throwing apples. So at night, I guess the the raccoons come from all over and they pick up these apples. They're on the ground. They don't have to you know they're not on the ground by the orchard because the, the the guys you know the burnouts, the stoners like we were I guess uh, start you know start throwing them across the um, 
uh, you know, across the um, field or whatever the hell it is into that graveyard. Just kind of a, a kind of a weird thing. And, and that place had always been talked about being haunted. I'm sure that's what they were seeing, where they were seeing the raccoons moving. And if you think about it, you know, they kind of, you know, hobble along like little goblins and, uh, and in a graveyard, you could think. Again, I'm not a non, non-believer per se. I just want to see. Anyway, Frank McKay signing off. Jack Osborne and... Uh, and his uh, his partner in crime there, uh, Marcus Harvey, one of the Ghost Brothers, um, on for another season, all new season premieres uh, on Discovery and Travel Channel, Fright Night. Round two of that, the paranormal Fright Night. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Steve Case is our very special guest, and uh, he's uh, one of the founders of America Online. And really, he got he got the ball rolling along with his colleagues for so many things that we're enjoying today. Uh, certainly uh, great to talk to someone who changed the world, and that's no exaggeration. His latest is a book, The Rise of the Rest, How Entrepreneurs in Surprising Places Are Building New... The New American Dream. Uh, Stephen Case is the author of that book. It's a must-get. Everyone, please, get two. One for yourself and one for the visionary in your life. Steve Case, how are you? Frank, great to be with you. Well, listen, thrilled to have you. And and when I say someone who changed the world, I I don't think I'm exaggerating. Uh, Do you have that feeling looking back? I I imagine you had to be proud of everything you did. And uh, did you ever imagine it would be here uh, and and where we are? I'm proud. We started uh, AOL in 1985. Only 3% of people were online, and they were only online an average of one hour a week. So it was early days. Uh, but what's happened in the last several decades has really been phenomenal. Obviously, now the Internet is an important part of everyday life. Indeed, during the pandemic, without the Internet, I'm not sure how we would have survived as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a world. So it's been great to see it go from an idea that nobody knew about or cared about to something that really has been transformative and, as you said, changed a lot of lives. The Rise of the Rest. Give us a give us the uh, Reader's Digest version of this, and uh, it's it's just getting rave reviews from everyone who's peeked at it. Give us a little rundown. Well, the the core idea is that entrepreneurship is flourishing all around the country, including you know states like like Florida. But most of the venture capital that backs these entrepreneurs that makes it possible for these startups to scale has really just been invested in a few places. For the last decade, 75% of that venture capital money has gone to just three states, you know, California, New York, and Massachusetts. So the idea is to back more entrepreneurs all across the country, help them scale their companies so they can get great jobs all across the country and more opportunity all across the country and kind of level the playing field for entrepreneurship and give more people the opportunity to pursue the American dream. And I spent most of the decade traveling around the country, visiting entrepreneurs, seeing what's happening in different cities. And it's, a, it's an optimistic uh, story. And so I, finally, I just decided at the beginning of the pandemic, I had to sit down and write this book because people reading this book, I think, will be more hopeful about America. Maybe it might inspire somebody to start a company. Maybe it might help get more people to back the entrepreneurs who are willing to take those those risks. And, and maybe it can lead to a more inclusive innovation economy and even help knit together a very divided country. That, 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 so it's, it's an exciting time. 
uh, maybe because of some of your innovations and uh, and your your foundings and your your work in the past, uh, are these new entrepreneurs are they much different than the folks you met in two, uh, in uh, 1985? Well, I think entrepreneurs basically see a problem and decide to turn it into an opportunity. And you know, one of the stories I love that I talk about in the book is this mom in, in, you know, in Indianapolis who was worried about you know, the water her kids were drinking. This was when the Flint water crisis in Michigan was so, you know, so challenging. And so I ended up you know, starting a company to make it you know, affordable for people to, you know, to test their, their, their water. Or there's another company in Buffalo called Spark Charge, and the founder, Josh, said, you know, as more people get electric vehicles, it's one thing to build you know, these stations so they can charge, but why don't we build mobile charge? Why don't we have trucks that actually can go to people's homes or go to their offices and charge it, charge it there? So these are the kind of things that we've discovered as we've traveled around you know, the country. They're remarkable you know, stories, and most people don't realize what's happening in terms of some of these industries or what's happening in terms of these different rise of rest cities around the country. So I think people reading the book really will be surprised by the, the, the diversity of ideas and also how many cities really on the rise. It's not, as I write about in the book, one or two or three. It's actually several dozen cities that are on the move, on the rise, and are emerging as very strong startup cities. Uh, Steve, I know you're, you're on the run. Thrilled to have you, even for this short period of time. Uh, congrats on, on the third wave, too. It was just absolutely uh, dynamite. Uh, and certainly congratulations on, on your latest. Can you give us a website, a social media site, where we can follow along with what you're doing? Just go to revolution.com or stevecase.com or follow me on you know, Twitter. And, you know, there, and hopefully people will, will take a look at this book and, and share it with some friends. Maybe somebody out there will take an idea they see and, and start to turn it a company and really in the process help renew their community. This is what this is all about. It's an exciting time. And I think it's what we're doing now is as important as what we did in those early days trying to make sure the Internet was part of everyday life. Now we're trying to level the playing field and create opportunity for everybody and jobs all across the country. So it's, it's super exciting. Steve, uh, thanks very much for being here, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. All right. Thanks, Frank. The Rise of the Rest, How Entrepreneurs in Surprising Places Are Building the New American Dream is the name of the book. Uh, we just had him for a moment here, but, uh, you know, listen, thrilled to talk to uh, someone like Steve Case. We'll get him for a longer period of time. Uh, he's just on the run. He's in between, uh, you know, a, a, a crazy schedule, as you can imagine. And, you know, he's a guy who made himself a billionaire. And, you know, when, when I say he changed the world, I don't think I'm exaggerating. AOL, if you remember those those little discs we'd get and remember how slow the Internet was. And, you know, Steve mentioned that people were on for an hour a day, different things like that, because it was because of how, how much of a hassle it was to be on. And, uh, you, know, he, uh, you know, he mentioned 1985. <laughs> and where they were in, uh, in 1985. I, I didn't get online, I think, until 1995. And when, uh, it, when I got on, I think it was originally through something called Web TV. That was the first thing I had. Uh, I didn't have a... I had a computer early on uh, for a business. We had a newspaper called Network, and we had an IBM-compatible uh, blue-chip computer, and it was a, you know, just a, not, you know, a, a cheap brand and uh, you know we we did typesetting on it, and it was uh, you know much uh, much different, but no, nothing to do with online. Um, everything was going from computer to disk, and and so forth. 
uh, when you started hearing about uh, the internet, you know, you know, people, uh, you know, people didn't realize what was going to uh, what was going to transpire. You know, I remember going online with with web TV, and uh, you know, it was, it was a thing you could buy for two hundred dollars, and you just go onto a television set, and and you got online, and that was the quickest, cheapest way to get get online. And we owned clubs, uh, myself and a guy named Bill Bogart, a good friend of mine, and we ended up owning three rock clubs. So we went online uh, to put up a website and, you know, trying to figure out how this all uh, works. So as I'm, as I'm searching, uh, one, of the, one of the things you, you came across uh, always was, uh, was the line, uh, welcome to the internet, welcome to the CB radio of the 90s. And I was thinking, oh, they're crazy. <laughs> you know, this is uh, this is going to be a big thing. I didn't realize how quick and how how big a thing it would be. But I remember, like, holding court back in the the kitchen or an office of one of the clubs, and, and talking to uh, talking to women, friends that I, uh, you know, friends of mine that would come into the club that was somewhere around, uh, you know, let's say, you know, twenty five to thirty years old, and. You know, in, in their minds, that was old for a club, and they, you know, they want to be coming into a rock club. But they were in a weird spot. And, and think about this, and th- think about uh, it, people, and, you know, people out, out there trying to meet other, uh, other people, you know, socially. Uh, if you're not a bar person, and you're, you're beyond college, your, your world, your universe, basically com- becomes where you work. And and if you've met, if you're a woman and you've met all the, or uh, you know, I shouldn't say, you're, you're woman, man, whatever, and you you've met everybody at work. In order to meet other people, you were you were forced to, uh, you know, walk up to strangers or or forced to go to some kind of, you know, social events or bars. It was just uh, it, it was just not there. I remember telling women that were thinking, Jesus, my my uh, mother got married. At 20 or 18 or 23, and, they, and at 23 or 24, they were considered old. And now here I am, 27. And really, it was the first generation that got married older. I said, I said, online dating, and I don't know how I worded it, but uh, computer dating or whatever is going to be a big deal. And almost everybody laughed at me. I guess this is 95, 96. And I said, well, I said, it's, it, it's got to be, right? I mean, people aren't going to stop meeting people. Uh, you know, it wasn't an issue necessarily for me because, you know, I, I owned a club, right? Met thousands of people. Uh, every, you know, we figured out somehow, like every seven weeks, I'd meet a thousand new people, something along those lines. Uh, you know, even if you met 20 new people a night, it comes out to a thousand. I, online, people are meeting other people. How many marriages uh, are, are there because people met online? But at the time, I, everybody would say, what are you kidding? Some 14-year-old kid's going to be you know, online messing with us and, you know, it's going to be some maniac, it's going to be some lunatic waiting for me if I meet them online and uh, and all this. But that was the response I got from almost everybody. People didn't think that the the internet was going to be a, a safe place to, to meet other people. I and mean, this is way before social, uh, social media and this is way before uh, all types of things. Chat rooms were, were emerging and, um, and and I guess that was the that was the precursor to uh, social media. But Steve Case, who's been our very special guest, we had him for 
uh, you know, a couple of minutes here, but we'll get him for a longer period of time, was the founder of AOL and really uh, AOL, America Online, um, got things started. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, he um, ended up becoming a billionaire off of it, and I'm sure his colleagues, his co-founders did as well. The Rise of the Rest, How Entrepreneurs in Surprising Places Are Building the New American Dream is the name of the book. Full title, Steve Case has been our very special guest uh, entrepreneur himself and um, you know, someone who, uh, who encourages uh, the, the activity, and I applaud it. I'm an entrepreneur. 631 um, was, uh, was the, the number that, uh, that everyone was trying to get at the time, and, uh, like uh, 631.com or 631, uh, you know, some, some kind of thing. And, uh, and America Online was, uh, was, uh, was taken real quick. Uh, uh, Frank McKay here, signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.